Welcome to OWASP 24-7, sponsored by the Open Web Application Security Project, improving the security of software. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide, and CatScan from Proactive Risk. This is Mark Miller with OWASP 24-7. When I was at ABSEC USA 2015 in San Francisco, I was standing in the hallway talking with Matt Tassaro, Shannon Leitz, and Jez Humble and said, hey, why don't we just grab a room and let's just start talking and have a recording and see what comes out of it. What you're listening to here is the output from that recording. There are basic audio problems I should give you a heads up to start with. Something was going on with the recorder. You'll hear a lot of background hissing noises. But I think the conversation is important enough that you can work your way around that. We'll start off with introductions of Matt, Shannon, and Jez, and then we'll get right into the discussion. So, hi, I'm Matt Tassaro. I, uh, I started out life as a web app developer back in the dark ages um, and then started running uh, systems because I hated the systems I was developing against, so I kind of put on a sysadmin hat, and then caught the security bug and uh, never looked back. And I've, I've been doing a lot of uh, uh, both, well, admin and dev work for a long time. And I, I, the DevOps thing, when it happened or when it, it kind of coalesced, really rang true with me because I, there's many principles. I'm a big open source guy, and many of the principles of sharing and openness, I, I get that already from the open source world. And so it was very easy to, to do the same thing in my day job. But, uh, I started out as a developer. I, I was a pen tester for a while. Um, then did a lot of uh, security consulting, and now I'm, I'm internal at Pearson as an AppSec guy, and I was prior to that Rackspace in the product security group. I'm Shannon Leitz. Uh, I am the DevSecOps leader and Cloud Security Engineering Manager um, at Intuit, and I've been doing this for over 25 years. I started out in the industry as a security researcher and uh, as a, pretty much a teenager and quickly got a job at a bank and slowly from there on out I, I learned how to develop code and became very rugged, tried to get jobs in the industry um, to do things that I thought were really appealing and found that my skills were getting better and better but I really struggled with trying to get accepted into the community of developers because I just didn't fit in. Mm. Um, and so that really ruggedized me. I got better and better at things and tried to improve my skills to the point where I was absolutely the only one in the room that could do something. So therefore I was going to be accepted. So I sort of ruggedized myself into the world and um, I would say that my, my main focus has really been about virtualization and cloud computing for well over 10 years. Um, I got introduced into utility computing a long time ago and so I, what comes with me is just this notion of software environments and, and just this understanding of trying to make things better and build things in instead of trying to try to figure out how to get people to change what they've done. So I'm just humble. I started off uh, in a startup, well, before that in my bedroom, <laughs> but <laughs> not for money. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was a, a startup, and then I joined a consultancy, ThoughtWorks, in 2005 and spent 10 years uh, doing systems administration, programming. I was a product manager. I was a trainer. And then I joined Chef. I was at Chef for a year as a vice president. And now I'm an independent consultant. Uh, I'm co-author of two books, Continuous Delivery and Lean Enterprise. And I teach programming and product development at UC Berkeley. Matt saw Shannon this morning, came up to me, said, she's talking to me. I've seen everything that she's talking about. Uh, Matt, give me some background on that. 
a while ago I left Rack and went to Pearson. They were they had taken six different companies and mashed them together to make the one Pearson. There was a centralized CISO that was just getting started and they needed someone to do AppSec, so I came in. And there's a lot of chaos when you do this kind of glum everybody together. And I sat down at my desk, I think it was like on the third day, and got they didn't even have a bloody whiteboard. So I got a big piece of paper. It was like very archaic. But I wrote out a plan. I'm like, this is the stuff we're going to have to do. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do this. We don't have enough people, which is what AppSec is. How are we going to make this work? So I wrote out this thing, and it became a pipeline for AppSec, what I call the AppSec pipeline. And it really, some people have been confused. It's a, it's a pipeline to optimize the, the workflow of AppSec. And then you can, from there, we're not doing it yet because there's a lot of chaos all over the place. You can, from there, you can sort of in, interject yourself into the actual build pipelines and then pull feeds into that back into your pipeline and it goes through the same workflow. Because I just wanted to standardize and have a sane workflow because I knew we had way too many apps and way too few people. So if I can optimize what it's like for us to do our activities, then I can get a lot more out of the few people we have. And that was kind of my thing. And so I did a, I did a two-day training here about that, like how to, how to get the most out of your people and where you can optimize and automate and what makes sense and what doesn't. And it was, it was like your talk was, it was great. Because I'm like, I told them that. And I told them that. It was so confirming and nice to have a second party come to the same conclusion. Because it's like, for me, it's, it's evolutionary. Like I was telling uh, someone at lunch that it feels to me like the meteor has hit the earth and the clouds are going across the, uh, the sky. And the dinosaurs are all going, nah, clouds, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> and like, I don't want to be future fossil fuel. I want to actually... <laughs> Like live through this and, and thrive, and I think you have to change. And I think that that's why I've yeah. been sort of passionate about this because I think the industry is just going to kill itself if it wants to stay like it is now. So yeah. why don't you give us a brief? Because I can a little bit about what DevSecOps is and, and what your talk was about. Oh, okay, great. Um, so we started talking about security as code, and security as code is really part of the paradigm of DevSecOps. Basically, um, we've decided that we had to figure out how to support DevOps. Mm -hmm. And so it was really out of just sheer need and sort of like what you were saying. Yeah, I'm in a corner. We were, we were becoming fossil fuel. <laughs> and so we really kind of tried to figure out how could we do the right things for the company? How can we take our expert skills and turn them into something more? And so we've tried a bunch of experimentation. And Josh Corman's Rugged was the first thing that we really tried to embrace. But there really wasn't a path forward for us. And so out of sheer necessity, we started to try and experiment. And as we started to experiment, we realized, mm, okay, so we've got to figure out how to deal with the cloud. We've got to figure out how to do migrations. Um, there was guidance out there, but it was really about forklifting. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about taking the native capabilities of a software-defined platform and extending them and really getting familiar with them. So um, we defined four work streams, and we also have a fifth work stream, which is how do we move security and AppSec into DevOps teams so that they can have all of the ability to make decisions at speed and scale. What we tried first was to embed ourselves into the DevOps teams, and there were 12 of us and 3,000 people. Mm -hmm. And it just didn't scale, right? right? And so we had to say to ourselves, okay, that doesn't work. More importantly, what was even more interesting as part of that experiment was that um, we had 12 people, and every single one of the practitioners had some different skill sets. And we actually created a hive mind out of those skill sets by working together so when we got broken apart, the hive mind collapsed. Right. Um, and we weren't able to provide as much value in that, in that sense. So we all got together. Our company invested in a hive, basically. And we divided up into the four work streams, security engineering, security ops, compliance operations, and um, security science. Mm -hmm. 
and we realized we need to bring more data in, we need to be able to produce insights, and we need to be able to provide information in a meaningful way back to the DevOps team so they don't have to do our job and become security experts. Right. So that was sort of the, the foundation for it, and as we continue to experiment, we're finding more and more that um, these work streams are starting to become more solid, we're learning a lot more, the experimentation's getting better, and we're finding that there are a lack of tools truly in our industry. So, well, I mean, you, you, we're moving to this model. I mean, at very high general terms, where we're taking what used to be, okay, you're gonna build the app, and then the security team's gonna come along and say, that's shit, that's shit, fix all that, you know, go and do it again. Um, and that's too slow, mm -hmm. fundamentally, and now we're moving to a model where you know, you want to have them actually do your work for you and you're just doing kind of like a governance thing over the top to make sure they're doing it right. And then also the other thing that you said which I thought was really interesting is you go and blow their stuff up all the time. We do, we do. And actually that's a part of it that we've added in recently. Right. Um, so we started out with could we govern from afar and produce value. Mm -hmm. We realized that that wasn't enough and we had to add in something called red teaming. And red teaming became really interesting for the security people because now we can actually continue to build more skills in our trade and provide even more value to the DevOps teams. So we have the early pipeline and then we have post-pipeline work that we do and the post-pipeline is really the red teaming. And so what, is, what does your red team do? So once a week you get together? Once a week we get together, we have Red Team Monday, uh -huh. we break into everything, we have um, very basic rules, but really it's really a no holds barred. We act like attackers. The major rule for us is to really think about intent. So within 72 hours, if you find something, you have to turn it in, you have to disclose it. And then from there, everybody really goes into this hyper mode of remediation and containment. And what we've determined is that means that you have pen testing, security ops, and um, training really coming together to forge better awareness by the DevOps teams and a learning cycle that's more consistent with what they need. So you've got the carrot and the stick. You're going in there, you're helping them, you're providing with skills and training, and then on the other hand, you're coming in, and as soon as they got anything in the cloud at all, you're like It's going, fair game. Yeah. Just like an attacker would go after it, we're going after it too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the one caution I'd do is I, I had something like that when I worked at Rack where we were looking at a product called the Atom Hopper and we found a way to DOS it. So I wrote a little bit of Ruby and I called it Adam <laughs> Dropper. And then the team was like, hey, we, we, you know, you DOSed our thing, we, how'd you do it? I'm like, here, let me send you the script. Not realizing they were gonna get mildly offended by the fact that I named the script Adam Dropper. <laughs> <laughs> so like a little less than there, like, it's clever yeah. and we had a good laugh internally, but like I should have renamed it before I like take out Adam Hopper or that, something. That, that's yeah, the yeah. empathy bit, right? Yeah, that's the empathy bit, I lost on that one. But yeah. I learned, I learned, right? If you're gonna make a mistake, learn and you're good. That's well, the cool. other part about empathy that came up um, too for DevSecOps was that we had to figure out specifically how to learn better and we weren't taking advantage of the tools. So when we first got involved with these teams, um, they were moving out to AWS, they were basically taking advantage of all the cloud tools that were out there. And as a security team, we were still stuck on 375 pages of policies and documents and basically this you know, lack of ruggedness that really was being produced in the environment. And what was great about going through this effort was that we decided, okay, we are gonna build tools to help the PD teams that we have and basically start to transform what we do from the 375 pages into some sort of tooling that was going to help. Right, because everyone loves to see you when you come in oh, yeah. the 75-page doc yeah. and they're like, Fun. fix that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I haven't slept in a while, thank you. This will be yeah. great. Yeah, this is going to really help me sleep at night. It's a great <laughs> knockout, though. So. 
And what was interesting about that process was that the security team had to learn how to code. So we became vulnerable in the same way that the teams were becoming vulnerable to us from a security perspective. Mm -hmm. And that vulnerability became um, sort of a collaboration capability between the teams. We needed to learn how to do the things that they were doing and they needed to learn more about what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And it's at a percentage level. Our code will never be perfect, it'll never be great. It's not like shippable production code. but. It actually became something that gave us great empathy. It was much harder to push things to production than we thought. It was really hard to meet release dates. It was, you know, so you've got great empathy in a security group. And I think that that really helped us to get inspired to figure out how to make it easier and better without having to have somebody become a true expert in security. So what were some of the tools that you guys were working on? That's a good question. Um, so we worked on a variety of tools that took advantage of things that Netflix posted. So at first it was Etta and some of the monkeys that came out. Um, we made some conscious decisions to do blast radius containment through accounts and containerization through accounts. Um, which caused some friction with some of the tools out there because our pattern really didn't fit those tools. So every team has their own set of accounts, basically. Exactly. So if someone hacks into one bunch of stuff on AWS, it's not going to leak through the whole... Exactly. It's not going to leak through the whole fleet. Mm -hmm. So um, we ended up having to build something called an assumer. So we took advantage of the cross-account delegation into the um, accounts. And we built an assumer. That was like our first thing. Um, we've built a query tool on top of that for all the API calls. And we've extended a lot of that logic to create toolkits for incident response. Um, we've taken advantage of big data. We're in the middle of a transformation right now because we took in far more data than we ever thought was possible. And all of a sudden, security people were becoming big data experts because we're having to. Right. Um, you don't or, or have. Or you break the tools. Yeah. Or you like do some break of our the tools, tools have choked on our data oh, sets. Totally. They just die. Yeah, it's they amazing. were cloud ready. No, um, not even close. And we had all of these folks that have had IDS capabilities and signature thought process. And what was really interesting about it was that the signature thought process. Um, made it really difficult for them to understand how to get past the fact that there was no network visibility. Everything had to be in the workload. Um, you had to instrument your application, you had to instrument your operating system, you had to instrument what you were using in the environment from a managed service perspective. So as you, as you go through all of that process, you get this different kind of thing that goes through your head as a security person. And all of a sudden, too, the attack knowledge became more interesting. Yeah. The attack knowledge became, oh wait, hold on, I can, I could break into an application and then use it to do privilege escalation through the environment. That could be pretty nasty. How do we alleviate that? And so that whole mindset became new for everybody. So how about? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say the other one thing too for me as a as an AppSec person and started as a traditional AppSec person, then kind of found religion or a new religion. Um, I worked with the container group at Rackspace. We were doing containers as a service. And, and I think one of the things that hurts a lot of people with a traditional mindset is they always want the perfect. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I did that was probably the most rewarding thing I've done in my 15 odd years of, of being in AppSec is I worked with the dev team as we were building this product. And I was part of the dev team. And we actually wrote a little bit of Jenkins automation to where they're checking in and doing this container as a service. Well, it, on every check-in, my code would pull out their thing, build a container based on it, dropped this thing called Linus, which is this GPL hardening checker. Mm. And I tweaked it to figure that there was, you know, n number of things that were really critical for us in terms of particularly syscontrol sys stuff and the C groups and all that with containers, right? There was some really critical stuff. I made that tool run that, right? So that every time we did a check-in, we build a quick container, run it green-red, 
blow away the container. Right now, yeah, oh, it was so that's cool. Because awesome. the guy, the guy, that's like, what we're doing. We're doing yeah. something like that too. The we guy nubbed the, the 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 one of the guys nubbed his ansible one day. He does a bad day, whatever, right? And all of a sudden it turns red. Exactly. And you're like, oh, dude, you you missed something. And it was like, oh, cool, no problem. You know, here's a PR. Off you go. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is such a better place to be as oh, an absent totally. person. And there's a whole there's a whole switch too from a security perspective of network-based security into resource and component-based security. Um, what's incredible is that you just actually played out the same thing we're doing. Oh, we, funny. Have, <laughs> we have something called Medusa that allows us to check on AMIs and components, and so we run small, short, bursty tests on those. Nice. And that allows us to map that back as a dependency map, and, and that's been really a change of thought. When we first got started, we sprayed and prayed, <laughs> well, and it was I, useless. I loved it. You were talking too about the differential analysis, like really relying on diffs, because that was another thing mm -hmm. we did. Well, we used our threat models to find the particularly scary bits mm -hmm. of the code, and then you, those are the ones like at Rack. The sort of mantra was, I'm ch I want to do a PR to get something in mainline. I have to get a plus two. Right? Yeah. Two developers have to go. Yeah, this is cool. Off it goes. Mm -hmm. Well, for the scary bits, we just cranked that up to plus three, and now not only am I getting three eyeballs on it. But I can alert on those scary bit changes because they're the three, they're the plus three ones, yeah. and I can now look at that diff myself and go, I don't need to look at this. It's good. Or, dude, we need to go have a talk, right? And such a different relationship with the, really with the dev teams. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is a completely different model from the typical model where you have a cab and the cab inspects everything. Yep. Well, now you actually have a way to distinguish what you might, you know, in traditional terminology, call a standard change from a normal change. Where yep. you're saying, okay, well, we know which bits of the code base are, are difficult, and we know. You know, we can treat different kinds of changes differently based on the threat, and you can be much more fine-grained about it. And that lets you let a whole load of stuff out there when you know that it's not necessarily going to be a big deal. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Super cool. yeah only, only bug me when it concerns me. Right. Those yeah, are the my, my, Yeah, that's such a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that we were talking about earlier, which I thought was neat, was um, about how you know, people are saying, "Well, Docker, we don't need to do any of this stuff now. If you're using containers, and then how appalling an idea that is." <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, you know, the, the, the I love Docker. Oh yeah, I'm I'm actually a huge fan. I started building um, Red Team tools in it, right? So we can take a Docker container of our tools and move it out to a workload and start yep. to do nasty things with it. So we've found all kinds of vectors, and we've been learning about that at an extensive rate. But more importantly, we figured out some ways to protect it. Right. And so we've built things like a profiling agent. We've built some of the capabilities about how to check and figure out how a uh, Docker container is uh, pushed out, whether or not it's been hand jammed, um, and try to figure out whether or not those changes are real. And I think the bigger thing is really manifests. Um, a lot of folks are doing hand jamming, and that's really detrimental to the safety of a workload. When we get a manifest, it's super important that we actually go back and check those things. And I can oftentimes detect um, a lot of the things that are really vulnerable based on the fact that they don't have the same profile of what's in the manifest. Right. And so the, the same kind of things apply when you're using Docker as when you're using other things is you, mm -hmm. have to, you have to be able to trace it back and say, well, this particular you know, Docker image has come from uh, you know, this base image plus these things in version control, and this is what's got into it, uh, and be able to do that in a reproducible fashion rather than, like you say, someone just like knocking something up and yeah. sticking it into production. Well, and the, the thing that's actually really cool, too, is you can do things like MD5 checksums, and you can do things to do diffs on the Docker containers. And, and start to provide a different way of looking at things. So you're actually diffing the binaries. You can diff the binaries, oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. sweet. So yeah. there's all kinds of new ways to look at things, and the fact that you can get in, look at the component, look at the resource, and map it back and get a different sense about your environment from the actual building blocks all the way through them being running, mm -hmm. that's it's such a different mindset for security folk. And well, the crucial, I think, is the visibility aspect, too. I mean, that's such a huge thing. Like. 
it was it was surprising to me at Pearson when we started doing all this stuff. Like people would ask, is it possible to even get this? I'm like, of course, I have it all. Like, what do you want? I can slice it this way. I can slice it that way because I I thought about it up front of like how can I hold this? And, and what we ended up doing is we have an API that we can read this stuff out of with a search feature. So like, how do you want to slice it? You want to buy mm -hmm. this? I can slice it that way. You want to buy date? We can slice it that way. But it, it like and it was amazing because it, it was a little bit like a, like a gateway drug, right, for some of these business units because they're like, is it possible to get our numbers this way? I'm like, yeah, sure, give me a little bit, you know, a little bit of curl or whatnot, and bam, mm -hmm. here's your numbers. And they, well, how about it this way? Yeah, give me a little here, boom. And it was yeah. it was amazing because we actually saw a forty percent increase in closure rate mm -hmm. for this one business mm -hmm. unit that was engaged with us and getting these numbers versus the others, and that's made it up to a C level. And now the other business units are going, wait a minute, why is this guy getting praised in the meeting? I want to be praised too. Right. And people are coming to us, which is totally different than us having to, like usually the traditional security is like, go beg and plead and knock on people's doors and no, please let us in. they're knocking us down, they're coming to us. Isn't that the coolest thing for, ever? Yeah, like it's it, really cool. At Rack, I had one of the products group come up and say, hey, we're thinking about doing this kind of dicey thing. Can, you, can we whiteboard it with you? Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I've won, I've just won. Like, exactly. The, before they've even put, you know, hand on the keyboard and written any code, they're asking us about the design. Exactly. And, and walking over to us, which was like, I've won. <laughs> so you talked about DevSec, what about SecOps? Oh, that's totally a cool thought process there. <laughs> so yeah, we, we've touched on the part where it's really interesting. SecOps, um, from a DevSecOps perspective, is really about taking actual events and transforming them all the way back up to a root cause and looking at the manifest and saying to ourselves, okay, this event happened because of these changes that took place and tying them back closer. But more importantly, making that information available to the developers and the DevOps folks that are going through creation um, so that they can make better decisions as they see the events that are taking place. They can quickly make sure that those things are not happening in their workloads mm -hmm. and they can push out new things. So the whole notion was to take DevSec and SecOps and really mush them closer together. Um, and SecOps is a really difficult thing to do. There's so much more data. It's um, a needle in a haystack analysis and you're really, you have to be a really um, good attack modeler and have the ability to keep track of all the different attack types that are happening. Um, but more importantly, it's bringing in threat intel and vulnerability analysis and bringing all that information in so that it can be transformed for somebody to make a decision off of it. Right. We, we had something, we, I didn't actually work in that space at Rack, but we, we did had something emerge that, that I would have never thought. So I, I started doing threat modeling pretty hard and heavy when we started the product security group at Rack. We went through all the different cloud products and then another fellow came over and took it over with me and he got really smart. I, I had just a whole grab bag of threat models. He took them and kind of joined them together in this master document, HTMLified them and cross-linked mm -hmm. them. So you can now mm -hmm. do the bouncing ball, like watch the ball go uh, because the you do these, good. yeah, the cloud thing gets really, I mean, everything is intertangled. And, and what we emerged out of this diagram that was fantastic was there's this one thing that if you'd asked me about it in isolation, it's a middling to low important system. Mm -hmm. But we found out that like 12 key things talk to that sucker. Exactly. Uh, and, and I would have never known until we glued all those pieces together. Completely. So we leveraged Neo4j and our data to start to determine patterns. Oh, um, nice. We have the little bubbles, basically, and we can see oh, certain that's a, types that's a of cool activity. cool way to visualize it. Oh, nice. It, it is really cool. And um, what's great about that piece is it also is something we can send to developers to have them understand the patterns so yeah. they can change what they're doing. We don't necessarily have to translate everything for them so that it's Fed. Um, I think they're actually really smart people and can help us to understand things better. But I think the, the key takeaway for us was we needed to try and figure out how to take that information and use it and make it available so that it wasn't just something that was happening behind 
closed doors and that it was part of just the security team knew and we can't expose our attacks because that would just be trouble and problematic. Instead, mistakes happen. And so the SOC and all of the security operations folks become your best weapon against trying to, you know, get past those mistakes. Um, they find something, detect it, contain it quickly, and that's the most important thing we've seen. Yeah, when I was a consultant, I ended up getting hired by company A to review company B software as a service, right? Mm -hmm. Typical kind of thing. So I'm reviewing it, and I find some problems. Like, hey, guess what? There's bugs. Shocker. Right? And so I go, and, I, and the, the company B, who is potentially going to sell the company A, comes to me and says, you can't tell them about this. Well, one, I'm sorry, I'm hired by A. They're going to get a report. Like, this is how this works. But two, you can make this look good. He's like, how can I make this look good? I'm like, fix it really fast. Because if this guy has any kind of brain, he knows you're going to have bugs in the future. I'm not worried about you having bugs. I'm worried about you fixing bugs fast. That's the key. And he went, oh, I never thought about it that way. I'm like, yeah, fix this stuff quick. Fix it before I even get him the report. And guess what? He'll love you. He went, oh, that's yeah. great. And that's why software-defined <laughs> environments are so critical because um, you don't necessarily have to go and re-rack a server. You can make yes. an immediate change and push it out so that it's within moments of an attack able to be, you know, patched and, and replaced. Yeah, that was one of the cool things at Rack. It was amazing. You have, like, an API node, a little wonky. Just shoot it in the head and put up a new one. Like, mm -hmm. it's like, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you got any resistance from kind of ops people, especially more traditional ops people, in moving mm. to this model? You know, I thought we would, and it turns out that we're getting very little resistance. In fact, most of the ops people we're working with really want to learn how we do what we do because they're finding that they're being pulled in for more of the remediation effort, um, infrastructure's turned into code, so they're actually part of the equation now. And really, it's brought, I think, dev, ops, and security much closer together. The collaboration is better, it's greater. Um, every day, we see a lot more remediation. We've seen our rates of remediation skyrocket, and we've also seen our controls be 90% or greater effectiveness. Wow. So, you mean time to restore? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we, we did a lot of that at Rack where we had, well, we had Salt, Chef, Puppet, Ansible, you name it. We had kind of it at all. But part of our process was, uh, on the infrastructure side, is we're going to review your recipes, stacks, playbooks, whatever, right, and then put in PRs if they're missing controls. And it was amazing. Like, you're right. The, the ops guys love it. They're like, oh, cool, you just made my server that much harder to, like, have problems? Like, yay, I'm going to share this with my friend. It, mm -hmm. it, it, I, I was kind of, I had the expectation that we weren't going to be they, well received, and it was completely opposite. And, and I think that's the, that's the biggest change that I'm seeing is um, going from a, the notion of perfect security to mistakes will happen, but we have to get much better and faster at containing them. That mindset really helps to bridge the gap between traditional security and what DevOps is really required of us. Uh, John Oswald calls this a mind shift from meantime um, between failure to meantime to restore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What keeps you both awake at night? Oh, great question. Um, what's interesting is we started to um, employ more 24 by 7 and I think now I sleep a lot better because of it. Um, we see our SOC able to respond to incidents that come up during the night when people are working. You know, it used to be that a developer would work at midnight, 2 in the morning and there wasn't anybody awake. So we changed how we thought about it. I think what keeps me up at night now is knowing that um, there's so much complexity and so much to know that it's starting all over, basically, um, and realizing that this is the tip of the iceberg and we need so many more people in the world to start working on this type of change. Um, and it's really just the beginning.
So I think that's what keeps me up at night. Yeah. And I think I have the proof for it for my Fitbit tells me I sleep about three hours. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, that's awful. <laughs> yeah, oh, for me, well, two things, really. I, 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 right now, at least where I'm at, we have a really good team. And we're all, we've got, we're all in sync. And we're all doing our own thing, but in, as a unified force. And I, I, the inevitable worry is that one of those guys is going to, you know, someone's going to tempt them away and, and that's going to hurt. That's oh, really boy, hurt. I tell you, um, from a resource perspective, so many people need to supply this in their companies. Um, we don't have enough people talking about it, organizing it writing up experiments and papers and I think that's another piece of the puzzle is that we really have to create better community around this type of change. Well and, and, and like the thing that I've had, had trouble with or I'd, I'd like to see more of is like for a while at RAC we had what we called half, half day hack days, right? Mm -hmm. And so on Friday at, at noon we'd like stop normal work and we'd go up and get, grab a conference room and we'd make little cool tools I've suck less. Mm -hmm. right? awesome. Yeah that and it was awesome. great, it was so fantastic because the morale goes up, you're seeing improvements and you, you you have an official time to go off and do these things that aren't, that if you're mistakenly viewing it, they're not part of your normal job, right. but by God, they really are. This is, this is what in traditional lean manufacturing is like the Kaizen Blitz. Yeah. So they're the set aside time and you're just going to make things better. Yep. Yeah. And it should be part of everyone's regular routines to it. Yeah. And that, yeah. that was such a, a boon for our team. We got so much more productive. And you get lovely cross training and just everything. It's such a great thing. I think that's great that you do that. We're still trying to experiment with where to fit that in. I think the Red Team Monday really helps us. Yeah, um, I love that idea. I, I can tell you, <laughs> we would love the whole world to do Red Team Monday to themselves because we think that's going to take down the attack surface for everybody. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to get the word out. You know, figure out how to attack your workload. Red Team Monday. Red Team yes. Monday. <laughs> um, and so really, I think that's the, that's the big deal for us is to see that activity happen. But more importantly, I think the other thing that we're trying to learn about is how do we set aside the right amount of time? How do we do all the things that we need to do as security um, experts? And how do we find other people who are like-minded that can help bring that knowledge to something like this? Right, and then how do you take that knowledge and give it back to the wider world? Exactly. Sure. Well, that was the other thing. Um, I, I don't know that I was ever very good at going out and talking about, about what I did or what I learned. And just having joined um, my company, learning that this is such an important part of the journey and hoping that other people are going to do it too, um, is I think a new thing for me from a mindset perspective that we have to just give back as much as we can. Yeah, and I think this is my discovery as well. You do things and you're like, oh, no one will want to hear about that. And then actually when you start talking about it, people are like, oh, that's really fascinating. And I think, you know, anyone watching this, there's probably things that your people are doing, right? And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, you know, no one wants to know about this. And, and they really do. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised. Like I have this little thing at GitHub called uh, TF Checkmarks Uploader. It's a little thing that takes checkmarks output and uploads it into our system, Very cool, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's this little goofy thing I wrote and go, whatever. And I throw it up on GitHub because why not? Like I just, I always know where it is, basically. <laughs> right now, yeah, it's up on GitHub. I can just pull it down. I actually got like a feature request and a PR on it. And I'm That's just like, awesome. oh my God, somebody found yeah. my thing. How did this happen? Like, <laughs> you know, because does it hurt me to share? Not at all. Like, and if anything, I got some good ideas out of that. So why wouldn't mm -hmm. I want to be public about yeah. it? Yeah, but I think that's just a, it's a mindset shift for security people to start thinking about giving things away. Yeah. Um, I know for me, I wrestled with it deeply and it was a really big change. Um, but more importantly, I've also realized that we have to try and put our tools out there to make them better. And the community can get a lot of benefit from it. But yeah. more importantly, you get many more eyes on it. 
And I think that developers have been doing this for years upon years, and we just as a community from a security perspective are starting to wrestle our way through how do we become less paranoid? How do we really understand these things? And I, I did a benchmark, which was really cool. Um, I tried to figure out uh, the amount of time it takes for somebody to transform into a full stack engineer. Um, and that includes security. And what I discovered is that developers are five times faster than a security person to become a full stack engineer with security knowledge. Why? Um, because of the uphill battle to become a better developer first. And so developers come with those skills and it's easier to augment them with the security understanding. Um, operations folks, it's about two times faster than a security person. And I'm not saying security people can't make the leap, but it's absolutely a much harder process because of the mindset shift, the need to figure out how to share and collaborate, and the fact that there's just not a lot of leadership out there yet. It's cool that you have numbers to that, because I would have yeah. from the hip said that with my rack experience. Yeah, so. Uh, because we would we would steal developers every once in a while in mm -hmm. the product security group, and those guys got ramped up quick. We hired a couple of college interns, and they're, you know, green, mm -hmm. orange, but well, heavy programming, and boom, they they ramped up really quick. Yeah. How about testers? Testers are interesting. Um, yeah. uh, what we found is they're actually more applicable to doing red team. So you can take a tester to a red team activity quite fast. Full stack um, was a little bit different because while they're really good at breaking things, having to create was much harder and having to get to the point where they could develop something that had scalability, reliability, availability, all the illities that a developer really has to learn about during their career um, was a little bit different. So it was much less uh, than a, a developer, but faster than an operations person. Because right. I mean, there's been a lot of fear in the testing community because yeah. one of the things that um, I talk about a lot is test automation around all players and I'm sure it's the same in your world. So, oh, yeah. um, I would so, love to get more testers because it would help security for sure. But then the test, a lot of people in the test community were, you know, weren't interested in doing automation and were frankly a bit scared of requiring those skills. But yeah. you're seeing the same dynamics at place basically in the security world. Mm -hmm. yeah, but but I, the, I've seen a lot of testers are very, if you like, will talk to them about how to do adding security into their testing, they love that. Because all oh, yeah. that's doing is making them a more employable tester. Because yeah. right? then only will it be my function. At this point, the battery in the recorder ran out, so I had to turn on another recorder. So there's a break in thought process here. We start up again with Shannon. Gauntlet and these different products became really useful. Um, Cucumber is something that is the basis for Gauntlet. So writing Gherkin code and some of those things, the testers have all of that knowledge yep. and they can bring it across. So we, we created in, in this 12-person team that I brought to bear, um, we brought in developers and security and operations and some QA, and it's really become kind of a, a close-knit family of people. Um, what's interesting about that is we've tried so many different experiments with our workloads, with the way that people work together. We've done things like two-person teams, three-person teams, take a, you know, the team and divide it in two. Um, and what we've really discovered is that the two pizza team of somewhere around four to five people is absolutely the best thing that can happen to a security team. So it's, it's probably reaffirmation, but it really does even help in the security world. What do you want people to take away from this? For me, the, we're terrible at two things in, in our communities. One is uh, kind of working with each other and, and, and kind of comparing our, the lessons we're learning and the journeys we're going on. And secondly, knowing about our own history uh, and, and actually finding ways to make sure we don't keep making the same mistakes again as new technologies appear on, on the screen. Um, and I think 
lessons take away is that we work better when we all work together um, and that uh, you know, the new things that are coming on the scene um, in, 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 in the form of the cloud and containerization are really amazing technologies and, and they're great. But uh, if we don't if we don't use the lessons we've learned in the past uh, and apply them, um, we're going to screw it up all over again. Um, I think when it comes to trying to move forward, security has to be at the table and it has to be something that enables DevOps. So one of the things that I would love to see happen is um, more community involvement with the security teams to try and build tools that allow DevOps teams to get better and have healthier workloads um, from inception. So you know whatever can be done there, open source, uh, community building, sharing thoughts, and I think this is an unnatural thing for a security team to do. So I think trying to get out of your comfort zone is really important. I think the, the second piece I, I would kind of leave with is, um, you know, there's a lot of different uh, projects out there. And um, we all need to figure out how to collaborate, but potentially even run different experiments because it's such a, a new thing in the industry that if we start to follow each other too soon and too early, we could all end up in the wrong place. So I'd love to see some diversification, but in the, in the scheme of collaborating and helping each other to get better. Yeah, I'd like to see people sort of challenge their inherent notions of what AppSec and security should be doing, because I think it really needs to change. I, it's, I, I think the security field has this idea that, that, that this is how the world should be, and they may want to stick their head in the sand and ignore the fact that, that, that the dev world and the ops world is radically changing. And we can either like get on the bus and play, play with them, or we can be left behind. And I, I think it's really important for people to really consider that. And, and I, yeah, I think that the empathy and understanding is a huge thing. And the, the other thing, too, that's really huge to me is that it's the pragmatic understanding of things. Like mm -hmm. when we had interns that they killed me, because they found SQL injection in this internal app that only did booking of meeting rooms in one particular facility, but they lost their bloody mind. <laughs> you know, oh my God, SQL injection, we're all gonna die. I'm like, calm down, take a deep breath. <laughs> Is it bad? Yes. Is it bad in this context? It's not really that bad. Yeah. Like, give me SQL injection in our .com site, and I'm I'm very worried. Give me SQL injection in this little one-off thing that 40 people use. We'll get it fixed. We'll be okay. But I'm not going to die over it. Yeah, and it was it, it was been interesting to me that, that, and a lot of people in security don't like to understand that, like, there is a good enough. Yeah. Like, I really like the idea of you must be this high to ride the ride. Yeah. And a lot of automation will give you that. And that's okay, because that at least gives you a perspective that people are at least, or the apps or whatever you're reviewing is at least this good. Yeah, I think the big thing is accept mistakes that they're going to happen, that the, everything isn't going to be perfect. Yeah, who's perfect? Because it really is a misnomer. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. That the, the the ivory tower of security needs to yeah. tumble down. It you're, does. You're always going to be hacked. Someone's always going to hack you. Somebody yeah. always is yeah. going to hack you. It's a matter of time. The interesting thing in the discussion for me, observing the three of you talk for the first time together, is the looks of recognition when somebody would say <laughs> something. Yeah, there's a lot of mutual stealing of thunder out here, man. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm like, dang, I wanted to say that, and I got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing, point, though. Point, point, point. <laughs> that's a good thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And I find out a lot about security, so that's good. Yeah. And that so thanks. And the DevSecOps doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you were teaching. That's really cool. It yeah. is really cool. I, I just yeah. took a class. I was teaching a class at University of Texas. Oh, cool. In their CS department. Yeah, it's been awesome. fun. Yeah. Trying to get the... the to indoctrinate the youth. That's what well, I'm trying to get them oh, to actually Lord, get yeah. hands-on and do. 
Right. That's the biggest thing because it's all theoretical for them. Yeah. Early career is such oh. a big deal for us. Yes. You know, we brought in five interns over the summer and learned a tremendous amount from them. Yeah. But better yet, they really have no baggage. That's and, true, and we too. And we could infect them with the right ingredients. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that is actually an excellent point because that's true with our interns. We did the same thing. They were a little bit, you know, they get a little hyperbolic at times, but... But you could actually kind of steer them in the right direction. Exactly. Without the, I used to do this at the last job like this, though. And right. That's cute. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so at UC Berkeley, I teach a course in um, Agile Engineering Practices, and we, make, we, we pair programming class. Nice. So you set a little problem, and they write a test, and then they code the test, and they make it pass, and, and, and we well, just have awesome. them all pairing class. So they get used to that way of doing things. So then one of them went to work at a, a large company in the Bay Area over the summer and came back and was really sad, and they're like, Think they're doing agile, but they're not doing agile. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I probably made you sad for life, but at least you know what people should be doing. And yeah. you can slowly, hopefully, push the rock uphill with this company if you end up working there, right? Yeah. <laughs> I had that happen. I've got a degree in musical composition. That's my degree in music. Cool. And I had an instructor that taught me how to listen different. And after that, I went to my first concert, and things weren't right, and I could hear it. And I went back to him, and I don't want to know this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. broke my ears. Yes. Yeah. I, went, I can't work for anyone else now. <laughs> I went to get file folders because I had this weird Saturday where I was just in a mood to clean up the chaos that was my office, right? But I'm out of file folders. So, yeah, I go to, I look at whatever, you know, officedepotmaxthing.com, and I go to locator, and I put in my zip code, and it gives me a thing. This one is 2.4 miles away, and I see it in the URL, and I go, oh, no. So I make it 7.1, right? And it's in the page. I'm like, oh. So I put a script alert, and it pops up. And I'm like, oh. So now I feel obligated. Like, i got to go contact them and find out. And I'm like, I just want a damn file folders. Well, I mean, you just, like, you view things differently. You do, and you realize that you have to actually start to report these things and then it's your obligation to help people. Yeah, I, I was applying for a mortgage, uh, yeah. a, a financer for my house, and the mortgage guy was like, here, go to the site, fill out the stuff, and you go to the site, well, the first thing you do, control U, right, view source. Mm -hmm. anyway, anyway, I wonder what they made this in. It looked kind of ugly and crunchy, crunchy, and in the comments, on the top line of the page, is, oh, uh, we gotta go, we gotta go. oh, I'm sorry, sorry. That was an abrupt ending because Jez and Shannon had to run off very quickly to a fireside chat panel with Josh Corman. I hope you enjoyed the conversation here. Thanks for working your way through it. I think it's an important discussion we need to have. How are we going to implement security within development? You have been listening to OWASP 24-7 with your host, Mark Miller. OWASP 24-7 is sponsored by the Open Web Application Security Project, improving the security of software. With support from the Nexus Community Project, supporting millions of open source developers worldwide, and CAT Scan from Proactive Risk. <laughs>